Thank you, guys. If you grab your Bibles, open them up. We'll be at a number of different passages of Scripture tonight. And uh, uh, how many of you have an outline you got at the door? Raise your hand real high. Did that get out? Wonderful. Our team did a good job. A number of the passages of Scripture there in your outline, and we'll uh, look at that together. But as we start tonight, uh, we're looking at a new series entitled Walk in the Spirit. So much of what we've been talking about on Sunday morning, what Paul is teaching us in 1 Corinthians of, of how to grow deeper in the things of God, it is absolute an exercise in futility if we think we're going to do it in our own strength. You can grin and, and just kind of grit your teeth and try to do better and be better, and, and you may make some kind of improvement in your own strength, but it comes nowhere near to what God is talking about in his word of how we're to live. Many of you not only know what I'm about to share tonight, you have lived this, but I believe we need to have it fresh in our mind to be reminded of what it means to walk in the Spirit. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. We're going to see who He is and what He does and what it means to live a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can be in the church and we can hear about it, even know about this so much, but we may not have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We may have allowed the Holy Spirit to take control in our life at one point, but we have taken back the reins, we have taken back control, and we need to be reminded to allow Him to work in our life. As we start out tonight, the Holy Spirit is the least known and understood member of the Trinity. Consequently, there is all kinds of Myths about the Holy Spirit. The mere mention of his name creates a myriad of distorted images. All the way from Casper the Friendly Ghost to some kind of scary spirit world in a movie somewhere. Because we fear what we do not understand, many have chosen to avoid the subject of the Holy Spirit altogether. One preacher remarked, I preach about God the Father and about Jesus Christ the Son, but I never preach about the Holy Spirit. When he was asked why, he replied, I'm afraid to preach about the Holy Spirit because it may lead to fanaticism or emotionalism. What a tragic position to take. Suppose I received a call from a pastor to come to their church and, and speak for a few nights, and they said, Brady, we want you to come and talk to us, but we'd like for you to leave your wife at home. And I, I could just imagine myself saying, well, why would you like me to leave my wife at home? Well, we've heard that she throws fits from time to time, and, and we don't want her to throw a fit in one of the services, and, and we just can't have that happening here. Hopefully you can understand. Uh, my response would be, well, sir, I don't know where you got that information about my wife, but you must be talking about somebody else's wife. My wife, amen. <laughs> my wife does not throw fits. You must be speaking about somebody else's wife. That's kind of how I feel when, when some make comments about the Holy Spirit leading to fanaticism or emotionalism. And, and it makes me want to say, you know what? When you attribute those ungracious, irresponsible things to the Holy Spirit, I don't know who you're talking about, but you're not talking about the Holy Spirit. You're talking about some other spirit. We need to know who the Holy Spirit is and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we need to be afraid of. But however, many of us do not spend much time seeking out the person of the Holy Spirit. At the other extreme, there's those who are 
not only afraid of the Holy Spirit, but those who are so infatuated with the spiritual realm that they embrace any book and any teaching on the Holy Spirit as gospel truth. In this indiscriminate acceptance of just any teaching or any book, it leads to much confusion and distortion of who God the Holy Spirit is and how He works. Both fear and our naive nature are born out of a lack of knowledge. God tells us in his word that my people will perish because of their lack of knowledge. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to study and learn about the Holy Spirit together. I want us to look, as I said, about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and the difference that he can make in our life. I want us to journey together and allow him to help us walk in his spirit. Now, for many of us in this room, this will be just a reminder of what you have experienced in your life. It will be a refresher course on how you have lived maybe decade after decade. Others, it may be a brand new approach to an aspect of God that you have not come to grips with before. But today, I want us to zero in on the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We can talk about his power. We can talk about what he does. We can talk about what he wants to do in our life. We can talk about how we can walk in the Spirit. But if we don't know who the Holy Spirit is, it will not take root in our life. So as we look at who the Holy Spirit is, I want to look at three myths and three realities of the Holy Spirit. The first myth, if you're taking notes, write it down, it's this. This myth is that he is a thing. That the Holy Spirit is a thing. In my conversation with people about the Holy Spirit's presence in their life, I often hear them say, have you got it? Is it real Did you feel it? As if the goal was to receive some kind of experience or get zapped by God somehow. Now, now we would never be as crass as call the Holy Spirit an it, but we refer to the Holy Spirit as some kind of impersonal or impractical being. We see him as some heavenly cloud that's just kind of hanging over us or some mystical force that comes over people from time to time. We take a page from Star Wars and we begin to think that maybe it's just the force that can be with you. But this is a myth. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. Here's the reality. The Holy Spirit, he is a person. He's a person. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as he or him. Turn your Bible to John 16, or look in your outline at John 16. We see Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit. In doing so, in verse 13, he uses the personal pronoun he or him over and over and over. Look at John 16:13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet To come. If I can count right, I think that's seven times we see that personal pronoun used there. Anthropologists tell us that what makes up a person or a personality are these three things. A person or a personality has intellect, it has will, and it has emotion. God's Word tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has intellect. Drop that down. The Holy Spirit has intellect. It's not just some kind of blob up there in the sky that's just kind of this floating 
aura of a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he has intellect. Romans 8.27 affirms this when it says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. And Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit, and he says, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. How many of you know that if you're going to teach something, you need to have some intellect? I guess maybe I've met a teacher or two who tried to teach without intellect, but that, that's another problem. But, but the Holy Spirit has intellect. The Holy Spirit has a mind. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Not only does he have intellect, the Holy Spirit has a will. The book of Acts talks about the will of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts sometimes is referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. It probably would best be referred to as the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Acts 16.6 talks about the will of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to see here as Paul and his companions, they're traveling and he says, don't go to this place, don't go to that place, but here is where I want you to go. He has a will. He says, this is what I want you to do. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, you cannot go there. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, I am sending you by my Spirit. You are bound by my Spirit. The Holy Spirit has intellect, the Holy Spirit has will, and the Holy Spirit has emotion. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Apostle Paul informs us why we should live holy and upright lives. It says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, you cannot grieve an inanimate object. An inanimate object cannot experience grief. This microphone cannot just experience grief. You can't grieve the microphone. Now, you could bring grief to our sound team or to those who take care of the microphone if you treat it wrong, but an inanimate object cannot experience grief, and, and the Holy Spirit is a person. He has intellect. He has will. The Holy Spirit has emotion. He can be grieved. You can only grieve that of a person. The Holy Spirit, his intellect is perfect. His will is perfect. His emotion is perfect. He's not a force. He's not a thing. He's not an entity. He is defined by who he is, not just by what he does. Now, church, sometimes we're tempted to seek after the, the effects or the power of the Holy Spirit, and we miss who the Holy Spirit is. If all you focus in on is what the Holy Spirit does, and you never focus on who the Holy Spirit is, you will treat the Holy Spirit as an it, as a thing, as some impersonal being, and you'll miss out on what God has intended for you and a major part of his relationship with you. The second myth I want us to debunk tonight about the Holy Spirit is the myth that he is one among many spirits. We're in the midst of a spiritual revolution in our culture, in our country. For generations, there has been a prevailing philosophy of enlightenment that would cast doubt on anything that was in the spiritual realm. Up until recent decades, if something couldn't be proven in the laboratory, if it wasn't proven in science, it wasn't real, it didn't hold weight. But that's not so true anymore. In the last quarter century, there has been a rise in interest in the spirit world. Convinced that the meaning of life cannot be limited just to the physical senses, the masses are turning to the unseen realm for answers. Consequently, we see an increase in the phenomenon of the occult, increased in the interest in the New Age movement, 
and channeling and astral projection and transcendental meditation. And in light of all this, there's a tendency to interpret the Holy Spirit in the same way. That the Holy Spirit is this supernatural force that's just one among many pathways for you to find enlightenment. This is absolutely not who the Holy Spirit is. Once again, the Bible makes it clear the Holy Spirit is not just one among many spirits. He is the Spirit, the God. The reality to this myth is He is the third person of the Trinity. See, Pastor Brady, you know what? Tracking with you, I'm trying here, but I kind of know this stuff. I passed catechism in, in fifth grade in the Nazarene church, and, and I know this stuff. I, I've taught this in Sunday school decade after decade. I, I know this stuff. And, and my challenge to you is, it's not that you don't know it. It's the time for us to be known by Him. And the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing, not an it, not a power, not some kind of goosebump we get in church. And for us to walk in the Spirit, we need to be reminded of who He is. He is not just one of many spirits. He is the Spirit. He is the third member, third person of the Trinity. He is the divine Spirit, eternally coexistent with the Father and with the Son. Write this in. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now I confess to you that tonight that I cannot adequately explain the details and intricacies of the Trinity. Of how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit can be one, but yet separate. In fact, any person who tells you they can explain it in its entirety, they're not telling you the truth. Now we can know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we'll go on learning about who the Trinity is. We do know what Scripture tells us. The Holy Spirit is God. He pre-existed creation. He was even involved in the creative process. Genesis 1.26, it's there before. You look at this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity is referred to there at the very beginning. Christian scholars agree and they're united that the Holy Spirit is God. Whenever he's mentioned in Scripture, he's given the same respect, the same worship, the same honor that the Father and that the Son are given. In fact, we ascribe to the Holy Spirit everything that we would ascribe to the Father and to the Son. We see that the Holy Spirit, just like the Father and and the Son, they're omnipotent. They're they're all-powerful. There's no greater power in all the earth than God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has power beyond anything we could imagine. There's no weapon formed against us that will prosper because the Holy Spirit's power will be and is supreme. He is not only all-powerful, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. As I quoted earlier, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is a person. He has intellect. He has a mind. He is all-knowing. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He will be with us all of our days. To the very end of the age, He'll never leave us or forsake us. The Holy Spirit is with us all the time. Later on in this teaching series, we will walk through how the Holy Spirit is with all of us all the time. His omniscient, omnipresent rather, being, His existence is everywhere at once. But sometimes there is His manifest presence 
where he chooses to draw attention to himself in a unique way. And we'll talk about that. Sometimes we sense the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit differently. But the Holy Spirit, whether we like it or not, is with us all the time. Even the times when you don't really want him there. When you think that nobody is watching, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is there. God is with you through his Spirit. He's not just one more spirit. He is God. He is infinite in his intellect. He is perfect in his will. He's perfect in his emotion. And because of this, he works in perfect concert with the will of the Father, with the will of the Son. Now, there's another distortion that can easily happen among these same line. It implies that somehow the work of the Holy Spirit is, is unique and it is very different from that of Jesus Christ. I want to suggest a word of caution for you. Any teaching, any book, any sermon, anything that would suggest to you that the Holy Spirit is going to veer off of the message of Jesus Christ somehow, be very leery of that. The scripture does not teach that there is just some kind of mystical special knowledge. The Gnostics taught about this secret special knowledge that you had to Gain access to know. They are one and the same, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we look back at John 16, 14, that should be before you look at that. Here's what Jesus says about the work of the Holy Spirit. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Holy Spirit is going to take what is the Son's and the Father's and is going to make it known to us. So when we find ourselves reading some kind of so-called Christian biblical book that is telling us that the Holy Spirit is going to take us down a path that is not spoken of by Jesus, it's not spoken of by the Father, we, we need to have an antenna go up and say, ah, this, is, this is kind of strange. Because the work of the Spirit should be the same as the work of the Son and the work of the Father. We can have confidence that the Holy Spirit is a person who works in concert with the rest of the Trinity. A final myth I want us to look at tonight that is easy for us to get sidetracked about who the Holy Spirit is. It's this myth that he is the power of God for special occasions. Sometimes we can be good with all this. He, he, is, a, he is a person. He's not a thing. Uh, he is, is, is all-powerful. He is the third member of the Trinity. He, he's not just one of the Spirit. But sometimes we can say, well, the Holy Spirit, that's just kind of like the icing on the cake. It's God's power at, like, good times or, or good days or special moments. This myth says that the Holy Spirit of God... Is, is truly God, but he asserts his presence and his power just every now and then. There are two prevailing opinions in the church con, concerning the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to be fair to you and share that these, these two prevailing opinions. It's not the only two, but it's the two prevailing opinions. One would be those who maintain that the miraculous acts of the Holy Spirit demonstrated in the New Testament. They were for that era only. The rationale dictates that the supernatural phenomenon that was necessary to birth the church was given for a time but ended with the death of the apostles. There's another prevailing opinion that would see that the miraculous acts of the Holy Spirit are indicative of what the Holy Spirit wants to do today. What we read of in Scripture and the acts of the Holy Spirit in the early church tells us of what He wants to do in our midst today. They serve 
as just as important today as they did then. I don't think I need to tell you where Grace Point or the Church of Nazarene stands in these two opinions. See, if Christ's commission to go and make disciples in all nations, if, if that is given to us today as it was to the disciples earlier, then it only stands to reason that the power of the Holy Spirit that they needed to carry out the Great Commission then is the same power of the Holy Spirit we need to carry out the Great Commission today. The Holy Spirit is, is not the power of God just for a certain time, but is the Holy Spirit's power. Here's the reality. He is available to us all the time. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. When you feel saved and when you feel tired. When you feel empowered and when you feel weak. When you feel like you're on cloud 9 because they were singing what you wanted them to sing. They were preaching what you wanted them to preach. People were cooperating with your plan and it was great. He is still available to you. When none of that is happening, He is still available to you. Now, how many of you know that there's a huge difference between what we feel and then what we have of the Holy Spirit? There's times when I just don't feel sanctified. It doesn't mean that I'm not set apart for God's use. It just means that I don't feel like it. When they get my taco wrong for the fourth time in a row, I mean, how hard is it to not put nasty sour cream, rotten milk on my taco? The temptation, I don't feel really sanctified. But it doesn't mean that I'm not set apart for God's use. It's not a part of this teaching, but I'm going to put it in here anyway. You know, sometimes we get all riled up about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life being some unattainable thing. I think this comes one in part because we begin to live out our life and we see our responses sometime and the enemy sits on our shoulder and says, if you were a sanctified believer like Pastor Brady was talking about, that's kind of cool, isn't it? It's like a puppet. <laughs> if you were a sanctified believer, you wouldn't act that way. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because you put a, 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 a Christian or a non-Christian and a spirit-filled, sanctified believer who's set apart for God's holy work, and you put them under the same pressure cooker, after time, they may respond the same way. But the spirit-filled believer goes back and makes it right. And they say, you know what? That was dumb. I, I'm sorry. I just asked God to forgive me for my attitude towards you, and I need to ask you to forgive me. It's just spoiled milk on my taco. It's nasty, but it didn't mean I needed to holler at you. See, God sometimes wants to work through our own weakness and inadequacies. You know what a watching world does with that? Who, who are you? People get yelled at all the time. People get aggravation going at them all the time. But who comes back and makes it right and humbles themselves? The Holy Spirit works in our life. Goodness, that's not a part of the notes, but that's extra. We won't charge you for that tonight. The reality is he's available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How else could Jesus make good on his promise? We see here in Matthew 28, verse 20, the second part. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now check this out. These next three minutes, hang with me because this is amazing. This is good stuff. He said to his disciples... Unless I go, he, the Holy Spirit, cannot come. Now, I don't think the disciples heard that and were like, awesome, get out of here, Jesus. No. 
They've experienced the Son of God, the Messiah. He's right there in front of them in the flesh. To see him go would have been terrifying. They probably reason God has come to live with us in Christ. What could be better than that? Yet just a few weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus' promise came true. Look at Acts 1-5 in your outline there. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These same troubled, defeated disciples suddenly realize that the God who came to live with them now lives in them. I begin to see God's wonderful plan to reveal himself to his kids, to his creation. See, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed absolute intimacy, perfect intimacy with God the Father in in the garden. But then they disobeyed God, they sinned, and it separated them from God. But instantly at that moment, God began working on building a bridge to get back to his kids. He desired to have an opportunity to have that relationship and intimacy with them again. So here's what we find in Scripture. In the Old Testament, God spoke to his kids through the prophets. Write that in. He spoke through his prophets. And then we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, God spoke through his Son. He became man. Fully God, fully human, came in Jesus Christ the Son, and he spoke through the Son. And if that wasn't good enough, God was just getting started. God is getting closer and closer. He walked among man. He lived with man. He suffered for and with man. But God moved another step closer. 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, he revealed himself in the blessed Holy Spirit. The New Testament church and today, God spoke then and God speaks today through his spirit. Write that in, through his spirit. The God who walked among us has now come to live in us. I used to read scripture and I used to be jealous of, of the early disciples. I mean, I ever thought about if you just had Jesus to like touch and hug and wrestle with and I could say play touch football with. I don't think they had football. I don't know what game they'd play. Just, just have fun and hang out and laugh and, and eat fish and, and talk and, and be there. I mean, that would be good. But I, I have a feeling in heaven, those who have gone before us would say, Oh my goodness, can you imagine to have lived on earth when the living God would live in us? That, that nothing could separate us from his spirit, from his presence in our life, and, and his power would reside in us, that, that we would become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We would house and host the presence of God in our life. You see, the light bulb begins to click when we read through Scripture about what God is doing for us in building a bridge. Now, there's some of us here in this room, I believe, tonight who are saying, wow, that's That's cool. I need that, but that's not been my experience. I need the Holy Spirit to help me know that I am loved. I need the Holy Spirit to help me be close with Him again. But but how do I get there? Pastor, I want to get there, but but how do I get there? What do I need to do? According to God's Word, it's, it's pretty simple. It's to ask and to give Him permission. Focus on the next verse of your outline with me. Look at this. It's Luke 11, 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
Now, I want you to catch this. This is not my idea. This is not my thought. This, this, is, this is Scripture. How much more would the perfect Father give amazing gifts, it says right here, in the Holy Spirit, to those who ask? So Scripture itself is saying, ask for the power of the Spirit. Ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But, but here's the next thing. We know that when we receive Christ, when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, when I confess with my mouth, and I repent and turn from my sins, I get all of God that I'm going to get. You don't just get god light. When, when you are sanctified with the Holy Spirit, you are set apart for His holy use, it's not like you just got extra God somewhere. Hang on. What happens is, is we, when we are saved, I give God my sin. When I am sanctified, holy, I give God myself. Now what happens is, is I let God have all of me, every corner of my being, every area of my life, He now has control over. So though I had access to all of God that there was, I was not allowing Him to have access to all of me. So when I ask, Holy Spirit, come and reside in me. Know that this is not this extra God that you never had. What you're saying is, yeah, you can come in there. Yeah, you can be in charge in that place of my life. Yeah, you can have every part of who I am. Now, the temptation is to say, well, I kind of I kind of want all of you when I want you, but I don't want all of you everywhere. And this is the tension, and we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. We begin to see that God speaks to us and through us by the power of his spirit, of his spirit. They understand the gospel as something in their head, but they didn't necessarily know that God is at work in them. Until Pentecost, they saw the Holy Spirit moving in them. Friend, if that's where you're at today, that you know about the Holy Spirit, you've known about God, but you've not allowed God to have all of you, it is a completely aggravating and frustrating and unattainable experience to try to live the Christian life. If you try to live for Jesus with your life and you have not given him complete control of your life, my heart breaks for you. It's the most aggravating existence there is because you know the truth. The truth is wanting to set you free, but you won't let it. And so you begin to come up with tension and you begin to find yourself doing things that you don't want to do. Find yourself going in places you don't want to go and and, and acting in ways you don't want to act until we allow the Holy Spirit to give power in our life by giving Him permission to move in our life. We will never be who God has called us to be. When we begin to open our heart and invite the Holy Spirit in, here's what happens. This is the last thought here. It is the Holy Spirit who makes real in me, write this down, what Jesus Christ has done for me. So what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it's the Holy Spirit who makes that real in your life. If we do not allow the person of the Holy Spirit to have complete control in our life, we will not see the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. See, there's this thing called prevenient grace. It's the grace that goes before. It's the love gift that God has for us when God gave a rip about you before you gave a rip about God. You didn't just somehow come to God. You didn't just somehow kind of muster up enough goodness and you made your way to get cleaned up. Even your desire to say yes to God was given to you by God. And it's the Holy Spirit is the one in you that makes real what Jesus Christ has done for you. The Holy Spirit is wooing you 
to him. Friend, if we are going to live lives led and controlled by the Holy Spirit, we need to know who he is. The Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not one of many spirits. The Holy Spirit is not just some kind of icing on the cake, some kind of God highlight at certain moments. The Holy Spirit is available to us all the time. I want to challenge you tonight to not miss the next couple weeks. Because we're going to unpack not only who He is, but what He has done, and what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And then, how does that actually bring any change in our life? We're going to study that together. But I can't think of a better way to end tonight than to share an illustration that many of you have heard and seen maybe have taught, one that was given to me that helps me, I think, in pictures. It's a picture of a heart, and in that is just a simple chair. And in that chair is a capital S for self. Outside of the heart, you've seen this picture before, is the initials JC for Jesus Christ. When we accept Jesus into our life, those initials now come inside the perimeter of that heart. Jesus is in your heart. But it's at the foot of that chair. It's right there at the bottom of that heart. But for the Holy Spirit to move in our life, we have to get off of the throne of our life, get off of the driver's seat, and begin to let Jesus Christ take control, sit on the throne of our heart, and we now are at the foot of the controls. Jesus is in our life, but are we allowing the Holy Spirit to control our life? You may have taught, you may have heard over and over and over again, but I want to tell you, it's not worth pretending. It's not worth taking the reins back again, and so as we close, I just want to pray a a simple prayer, and I want to invite you to pray with me. The cool thing is, we don't have to have a spiritual goosebump. We don't have to have some kind of amazing feeling right now because whether we feel it or not, he is there. And so as a matter of our will and decision to give control to the Holy Spirit, I want us to pray and either remember the time that we gave the Holy Spirit control of our life or maybe for the first time. Say, I'm done driving this thing. Why don't you drive it for a while? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that is enriching our hearts. And tonight, without any other tug or pull or plea, for my brother and sister who are there and they say, you know what, I am tired of doing this in my own strength, I pray that you will listen to them and give them the boldness to ask you to take control of their life. Friend, if that's you right now in your mind, in your heart, I want you just to pray the simple prayer. Holy Spirit, I'm asking to receive you and all of your power in my life. I realize that I can no longer be in control of every area of my life. I surrender and give you control of my life. Right now, I thank you before I feel anything. I thank you for setting me apart for your holy use. With your help, I want to live the rest of my days sold out in a reckless abandon for you. Thank you for not only saving me,
But thank you for leading my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, this is a part of the message that we need to celebrate. This is the victory we have in life. And there are many, many, many people who trust in Jesus. But so many never get out from underneath the weight of the burden of sin. We're going to celebrate over the next couple of weeks what you possibly have experienced. And I want you to come into this place ready to share a testimony of what Jesus has done in your life through you surrendering your will and control to him. So this is heads up. I'm going to ask you next week, you allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind a a testimony, not only to bring glory to him, that will happen, but it may encourage a brother or sister to know what it looked like in your life to let the Holy Spirit lead. Thanks for worshiping with us tonight. We're going to end, at least Carrie and I, I think we're going to end worship at Culver's. We had a good place to end on Sunday night. I heard they have cheese bites, and it's not ice cream. What is it? What is it? It's not a... It's custard, that's it. Tastes like ice cream. As we take off, maybe you're not a Culver's person, but find someone around you and uh, get to know them. Go out and, and grab a bite to eat, hang out. Allow the New Testament tradition in Acts where they broke bread together. They hung on to the scriptures, the apostles' teaching, and they ate cheese curds. I think it's in there somewhere. Do that however you want to. Maybe you want to join us at Culver's. I don't know how many seats they have, but we're going to be there. And uh, you can do that with us. God bless. Thanks for hanging out with us. See you next week.